and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 190. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing the last two episodes of Voyager's first season, Jatrell and Learning Curve. Here we go. Chitrell, Season 1, Episode 15, Production Code 115, Original Air Date, May 15, 1995, Directed by Kim Friedman, Story by James Thornton and Scott Nemerfro, Teleplay by Jack Klein, Karen Klein and Kenneth Biller, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include James Sloyan as Dr. Mabor Chitrell and Harry Hankin as Gaunt Gary. Neelix is aghast when a Hakonian named Jatrell contacts Voyager and asks to meet him. The Hakonians fought a long, destructive war against his people, the Talaxians, 15 years earlier. Jatrell was responsible for developing the Metronian Cascade, a super weapon that killed over 300,000 people on Talaxian's moon Rhinax, including Neelix's family. But now Jatrell says he has come forward to examine Talaxians like Neelix, who help evacuate survivors from Rhinax, in the process exposing themselves to high concentrations of the Metreon isotope that can cause a fatal blood disease. The night of the Cascade, a bright flash cut across the sky, so blinding that people threw themselves to the ground. And everything stopped like a moment out of time. Then we all looked up to see where the flash had come from. But the sky seemed oddly empty. All right, Steve, why don't you kick us off on Jatrell? Yeah, um, so yeah, I, I definitely remember this episode, um, learning a lot about Neelix's uh, background and uh it was, um, I, f- I found it interesting. Um, we've kind of seen this thing before a little, in, in a sense, there's a lot of episodes uh, meeting up with your demons in some respect and uh, having to um, adjust to that either through forgiveness or through, um, through, uh, through not, you know, through just keeping your hate going and all this kind of thing. And, and so I, I think, I think it's, I think it's interesting. And, um, we, and we learn a lot about Neelix's past and it gives a little bit of depth to uh, his character, which I think was kind of needed because a lot of times he just comes off as annoying and we, and shallow, I think up until this point. So that's my take. Yeah. It was really good. I think to get a, um, more of a serious episode with Neelix, you know, you don't want him to be, strictly like comic relief or something. I think this episode was really good for his character at the right time. I think if we'd gone much longer without something like this, um, it might, might've been hard to come back or to to try it in the future. I mean, Uh, it's hard to watch this episode and not think about and and not assume that it's, that it's a, um, you know, a metaphor for Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb. I mean, I've always thought, that's what it was. Sure. I try to imagine, <laughs> um, I don't know, the Japanese, uh, somebody there that lost their family forgiving Oppenheimer. You know, it's there's this weird... What I think is effective about this episode is that by the time it's over, I kind of believe that Neelix would forgive him on his deathbed. 
it's hard to imagine at the beginning that it could get there. It's, I mean, it's a tiny bit of a stretch, but I kind of believe it. And part of that, I think, is Neelix because he he does seem like he has such a good heart, is such a positive character when you think back to how we first met him. Yeah, so I, I've always, I mean, this episode is, is, is an easy one to like. I'm sure we're all going to, we're all just saying positive things about it, but it, I mean, it's not as good, it's not as great as I think it could have been, you know, for some of these kind of issues where uh, maybe it wraps up a little bit too cleanly or, or gets there just a little bit too quickly, but generally I buy it and I buy that moment at the end. And I think that that's what makes it ultimately work pretty well for me. Uh, Adam, your first thoughts? Um, yeah, I would generally agree. I think it's a very good Neelix episode. We get to um, uh, add to that. We we got to learn a lot. We got to learn a lot about Neelix, and it was a serious episode. I also kind of, I, I also have problems with the episode because I think it could have been better. It's a little bit sloppy at times. Um, I think it's a little bit sloppy in the beginning, and it's a little bit sloppy at the end. It doesn't ruin the episode because I think we get there with Neelix. His his character advances, and it's believable by the end that he can. Um, forgive him um and i think it's the scenes that we have um in the middle with um you know where he's talking about you know how he really wasn't in the in the defense service and he you know he kind of he was talking about how he was a coward and that kind of thing and really he was anger wasn't solely um on um the scientist it's um you know kind of how you defer your anger or your issues in some direction you know um I, I really I thought those were the really good scenes there in the mess hall um in towards the end when they was having the conversations um and I also found you know ne- you, the stories that Neelix tells um are, are really good you know he tells these stories to kind of make a point and they did that very well in this episode kind of some of the things that I thought thought were a little bit sloppy with the episode I didn't really like that Janeway was so apt to just take on this um Chattrell, you know after what Neelix had told her you know they were like oh you you know, you know, they, you know, they kind of ganged up on him, you know, see the scientists. I mean, I would kind of think they would, yeah, she would have been a little bit more, they would have been yeah. a little bit more skeptical or maybe even question him more like, you know, in, instead of just, you know, Hey, go see this guy. Kind of like, you know, not, I don't, didn't seem like the gravity of what he had done was really fully, I don't know. Um, what's the word what the word i'm looking for but i don't know that's kind of what i, I kind of felt it was sloppy and the end was kind of sloppy just because they go to neelix's home world um they go to this moon and it's really quick and we don't really get i thought we could have got a little bit more about the talaxian culture in this and i kind of would have preferred to have a little bit more in that more of that in here but i mean you know obviously they you know there's only so much time in an episode but they kind of go there and then they leave. You know, this is Neelix's home world and this is this is a new culture and they don't really spend Well, it wasn't actually this home world, right? It was a... Well, the moon. A colony or something. But yeah, it's at least it's at least Talaxian space yeah. or something. I, right. I did think that's kind of weird. Maybe that would have been better to set it somewhere else just because if you're going to get this close to what we assume this close to Talaxia, yeah. then uh, we should see it but this wouldn't be the right episode to do that so it would have just been better if they just said it somewhere else you know right yeah it kind of ended quickly and um i didn't have a problem with the scene where you know he forgave forgave the scientists and the scientists died i think that was um natural but i need, i think they maybe they just tried to do too much in this episode and it kind of left you wanting more or just kind of a little bit lost about what they were what they were doing 
And um, the scenes at the end where Janeway is like, well, I don't really want to try this. We can't do it. And then uh, well, please try. And then, all right, we'll try it. And then it doesn't work. It's, I don't know. Those scenes were, I don't know. I, I think it's just the writing. Janeway's character didn't have, it wasn't written very well for Janeway in this episode, I guess what I would should say um, the beginning in the well, end. True, true. Yeah, that's, that's an example of the kind of thing I, you know, the moment where I admit, yeah, and I agree that it, it, it does have some kind of clunkiness to it. Um, like her saying, oh, we shouldn't even try this. And then, okay, well, we'll give it a try. Giving it a try was like two people standing at a console for 60 seconds. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you have just done that? It works or it doesn't, right? Yeah, from the beginning. It wasn't like, you know, oh, this might blow up the ship if it doesn't work. And there was no, yeah. like, real consequence for it not, not to try. And then they so have Why to not just do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then that also showed, makes it feel a little bit like Jatrell's reasoning for not just telling them the truth from the beginning was probably pretty weak, but then that would have hurt the episode. You wouldn't have had the drama of him saying he had a disease, etc. Yeah, and I think I thought I thought the end trying to rematerialize these victims. I thought that was a little too far fetched. I thought maybe if they would have just maybe if he could have just tried to save the moon, return the moon to a livable space, might have been a little bit better. I don't know. That just seemed like a little bit far fetched. Like, oh, we're gonna. We're going to bring these people back from all these particles around the, the planet. I mean, it was just a little too. Well, I was okay with that because it was super far fetched. And at no point was it really, you know, the one plus side to her saying, we're not going to do this is because it's so unlikely to work. Now, maybe if she just said it's so unlikely to work, that would have been just as effective. But just as a concept, there was never any moment where, wow, this could really work or no, nothing like that at all. Right. right. So it did seem like. Like it was really unlikely, and he was really Jatrell was was really just Stretching. reaching for any thread that he could to try and redeem his life on, on in his last days. So that much of it kind of worked for me. But I did. There's a lot of themes in this movie we can talk about when we get to what it's about in this episode. What they were trying to go with, and then, you know, you mentioned the, the you know the atomic race with the United States and Oppenheimer. There's definitely that, and there's a few other things when we get there, but. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a good episode. I think, um, you know, when we get to the next episode, when we talk about learning curve, when we talk about the the season in general, I kind of felt like this was a a not a good episode, but not. I mean, yeah, the, the, a lot of the episodes in this first season, they just don't hit a high mark. They're just kind of like average throughout, and it's kind of how I look at this one. It's a good episode, but it's kind of average at the same time. Um, but you know what it does. It, it reminds me of this episode in particular. It, it's got enough of a taste of the kind of stuff that I'm going to really like in future sure. episodes. It was the, for one of the first episodes of the season that really gave me that, that little sense of comfort of, oh, yeah, there's going to be some really good stuff in the future. Yeah. You know, the stuff, some stuff that I really liked. I mean, I would say it's a good episode because it does a lot for Neelix's character. So I would put it in the good category. Uh, do you guys have a problem? I've just noticed this because Netflix didn't exist years ago. The last time I watched Forger, like, are you constantly seeing your notes and uh, reading Netflix every time you wrote Neelix? <laughs> it's so close, right? No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, different you letters, different cast, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brian's got Netflix on the brain. Well, I think, and I was going to make some other jokes, but now that I reread it, I'm like, I don't know. This is probably inappropriate for me. <laughs> so I'll just refrain from those additional jokes. Steve, do you buy that he forgives him at the end? Yeah, I think so. I agree with what you said earlier that 
I think one of the high high points of this episode, the high marks that we give it a little, you know, at least a good and maybe better than average is because it's paced in this way and they develop, I mean, it's a, it's credit to, um, credit to the actor and so on, but that, that by the end you, you feels right, you know, even though early on it would have felt like we, we can't get there. Yeah. It, it does to, uh, this being the second to last episode of the season, it reminds me of uh, uh, duet, mm-hmm. and that's an unfortunate thing because once it reminded me of duet, yeah. it's like okay, well, it's not as good as duet, of course. Um, many reasons it's not as good as duet. You know, and um, I was going to mention this. You know, even though I really like the scene with Kess and Neelix when they're in the mess, when she goes and finds them in the mess hall, um, you know, and we'll get to this more when we in future seasons. Ah, they. I, their chemistry as like a couple, I know just never really worked. They feel like more like brother and sister to me or more like family members. They don't have like that romantic connection. And that's probably why they eventually spoiler alert break up. I don't, I don't remember what season it is, but I mean, I really like the scene, but it's not, they don't, yeah, they don't feel like boyfriend, girlfriend. I don't even think they share quarters. I think he wakes up. So I, I just thought I'd mention that, that even though their relationship is a strong one and it's, it's a good one. They're just, you don't ever see that chemistry of between the two of them. And sometimes it's kind of awkward at times with, with Neelix and her and that romance. I don't That's a good point about him waking up, like them not sharing quarters. I guess I hadn't really thought about that before, but it really does make their relationship very difficult to like pin down, right. you know, like exactly what is it? Are they boyfriend, girlfriend? If so, how, how long have they known each other? And, they're not more serious or, and she's got a short lifespan, you know, maybe not time to get on it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. All right. What is this episode about? Well, we talked about the, um, you know, the, the, you know, the Oppenheimer thing, you know, mass destruction is it, you know, how far can you take science? You know, they have that whole scene in there, you know, you, you discover science just because you, you're a scientist, you discover things and it's good for everybody, even though it's good or bad. They, they make that, that case in this episode. It's, that's a lot about that. And there's a lot about, to me, there was a lot about self-discovery of oneself. You know, I mentioned the scene with um, Neelix and Kes where um, he's talking about he always being a coward. And she explains to him that, you know, you, you put your life on the line regardless and maybe that you're not angry. It's about deflecting your emotions at something that you're, you're angry, but you're not really angry at that person. It just makes you look inward um, to to discover what your t- discovery of yourself within. And so I, I kind of that's what we kind of find out from Neelix in here. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, yeah, we there are a number of things we could latch on to, but the, certainly the notion of uh, the idea of you can't of not being able to be comfortable and forgive others and be gracious until you can do that with yourself. Um, it's a little cliched, I guess, because we hear that kind of thing a lot, but I think it's pretty much true. You know, you've got to be comfortable with who you are and, um, or if you, if you don't come to terms with your own demons, you're just going to constantly be attaching them to other people or finding ways to vent and, and attack others for your own issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Just protecting that. Yeah, and there's um, you know, there's a there's themes of redemption in this and forgiveness, of course, and with the Doctor Detrell, which by the way we didn't really mention. Him. I thought he did a really good job, job the the Doctor Detrell or Jatrell, 
Um, I, I really liked his character. I liked that scene at the end. I mean, you know, you're in the tears with the makeup and Neelix, him and Neelix in, in the sick bay when they're, you know, sharing their sad stories. Um, I thought that was a pretty, pretty good scene between the two. And so I just wanted to mention that I, the actor who played Jatrell did a, I thought he did a really good job. Well, that is a very good transition for <laughs> six degrees for Jatrell. Adam? Sure, I'll get this question wrong. <laughs> James Sloyan. Well, they're both about him, so... All right. Do you, want, do you want number one or number two? I'll take number one. Okay, James Sloyan plays Jatrell, the Robert Oppenheimer of the Delta Quadrant. In DS9's The Alternate and The Begotten, he played Odo's Bajoran father of sorts. Name the character... What was his name? Um, I think I remember during DS9 days asking about him. Wasn't he like the voice of the Lexus commercials or something like that? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember his name. Sorry. I could sit here and make something up, but I, don't, I really don't remember his name. I know he was, yeah, I know that I, I can see him and I know the episodes. I can't remember his name. Yes, Steve, go ahead. Do you need like the, both the surname and the. I'll take either. Is it Mora? Yes. Mora Pole. Pole and Pole. Okay. I'll give you that. Okay, Steve, in Next Gen's seventh season in the episode First Born, he played a Klingon named the character. Oh. He was the um, grown up Alexander? That's correct. Alexander. Rojinko. Or if you really wanted to reach, he, he initially called himself Kimtar. Oh, yes. Kimtar. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Learning Curve, Season 1, Episode 16, Production Code 116. Original air date, May 22nd, 1995. Directed by David Livingston, written by Ronald Wilkerson and Jean-Louis Mathias. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Armin Schultz as Kenneth Dalby, Derek McGrath as Chell, Kenny Morrison as Garen, Catherine McNeil as Mariah Henley, Thomas Alexander Decker as Henry Burley, and Lindsay Hahn as Beatrice Burley. After crewman Dalby is insubordinate towards Tuvok, he discusses the situation with the captain. Janeway understands Tuvok's frustration, but points out that the Maquis have never been trained in Starfleet procedures and philosophies. A class is organized to teach several Maquis crew members Starfleet protocol so that they can integrate more fully with the rest of the crew. Tuvok will teach the class, having been an academy instructor. At his first efforts are unsuccessful, trainees with Dalmi as the ringleader walk out of their first session despite Tuvok ordering them to stay. It is our intention that the experience be positive for everyone, if you say so. But understand this, Lieutenant. I don't want to get to know you, and I don't want to be your friend. Adam, kick us off on Learning Curve. Learning Curve. Um, It's an interesting, you know, it's kind of, you know, the Lower Decks kind of thing. You know, we get to see... Um, Same writer, I believe. Yeah, um, you know, other crewmen that we don't normally see. I kind of always thought that was like a something that they missed missed on Voyager, you know, it's what is the, what is there's all like 150 people on Voyager. Is that what the compliment is roughly? 
I could be wrong. I mean, but it seems like they could have done this a little bit more in Voyager because it kind of lent itself more to it. I mean, you know, they're not stopping at star bases. There's not new crewmen coming and going like there was on Enterprise or at Deep Space Nine. So um, I like this episode. I kind of think it's clunky at times. Um, kind of um, Dolby's an interesting character, but at the same time, he kind of seems one dimensional. Like I said, I like the concept of a class and, you know, what goes on with that. And, you know, and then I guess the B story is these gel packs and the, the ships breaking down and, um, you know, bad cheese, that sort of thing. Um, overall, I kind of like the episode, but kind of like what I was mentioning before um, in the previous episode. Um, it's it's average. It's not like oh, this is a great episode. I, I can't wait to watch it again. It's just kind of like, OK, yeah, it's, it's an episode of Voyager. It's not um, it's. Star Trek, it's kind of good, not great. Um, it's just kind of average. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like a, a season, a season-ending episode. Um, this is um, for the first season when it's just kind of a standalone episode. It seemed like it should have been a little bit more dramatic or something. It seems like more of an episode that should have been kind of in the middle of the season. But um, that's the way they went. Yeah, I don't think the intention was for this to be the season one finale you know they filmed a few more episodes past this uh, but they decided to save them for season two i mean i'm sure it has you know all because they started this series at a weird time of year but it was january yeah, it was kind of like a half season yeah but yeah i don't think that the producers wanted this to be the season finale they would have you look at every other season finale of Voyager and it, it there's a, you know, it's if, if not a two-parter, it's certainly a big it's more dramatic deal. Yeah. There's some big action and, you know, they really go out in a bang. Ironic then that uh, this, this, this was their highest rated season finale. <clears throat> uh, Steve, your first thoughts on, Oh, go ahead, Adam. Well, I was going to say, I mean, do you guys kind of feel the same way that they, that's like, they might have should have went to this a little bit more often. Other crew members that are in the lower decks in the series. I kind of thought they, they didn't, I didn't feel like, I mean, yeah, I, I mean some stuff. I, I don't, I don't think it really bothered me, but I like, uh, I don't remember his name, the, the, the Vulcan that we get later. Yeah. You know, I liked him. Don't they get a baby to one of the, is she a nurse or, or not a nurse, but I can't remember her name, but go ahead. You know, we're going to get Ensign Suter, the real winner, <laughs> uh, who is presumably on the ship right now. Yeah. Uh, Steve, your first thoughts on that? Yeah, Lincoln. it's, um, I mean, it's fine and it's kind of, uh, um, it, it, these kind of lower decks things are fun because we don't see them very often, but it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's okay in that regard. Um, I, uh, you know, and it's also, it's, it's, there's so many like, kind of tonal issues with it. You know, with some of the stuff I like, the best in it or the, or the stuff that's funny stuff like uh, with Tubacca's interactions and I always remember him, his comments on like the headband and the talking back and making him run. And it's just sure. so the, the, the back and forth and him being so deadpan and then them being absurd and going, you know, but then you have, and that's all great, but you can't, it can't be too funny when the guy, the crazy bitter guy is talking about his uh, 
sister getting raped and having her skull smashed in in the pool hall, you know. And so it's um, it, yeah, that was less funny. Yeah, that was that wasn't as funny as the headband. It was a tonal thing. And so yeah, and so you have that, and then of course it's uh, the cheese kind of stuff is it crosses this line of being a little absurd, you know. And so all of it thrown into those big mix, you know, and then by the end you kind of have this quick wrap up that's almost like. It's, it's about silly, you know, where they pull, help pull him out. And it's kind of like a, it's almost like a look at the camera, thumbs up kind of ending, you know, with that. Yeah, no, he literally yeah. has the line. If you can learn the rules, I guess we can learn to follow them. Yeah, I think that line was going a little too far. Right. Swell idea or whatever. Yeah. Do we, mm-hmm. do we ever see any of these guys again, these crew members again? Um, We definitely see the Bolian again. But it seems like they're trying to set Dobby up. I mean, I'll go back to the what Steve mentioned, you know, that scene in the pool hall where he's talking about his girlfriend being raped and smashed. They seemed like they were, I don't know if that was a writing thing or it was just poorly acted, but it just didn't come off very well. Or if it was just a tonal thing, it just didn't come off very well. And it seemed like they were trying to set this guy up as a, I don't know, a possible reoccurring character. But yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was like, do we ever see him again? It's, you know, it seemed kind of weird to kind of set him up kind of like as this, you know, kind of leader of the lower decks and then we never see him again. So that's just me. Yeah. We definitely did not see him again, but his personality is so acerbic. It's really nice to see each Cody punch him. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. This episode does have some good humor. I definitely like a lot of the two lines. He's got the bit about you may be experiencing difficulty <laughs> because I increased the gravity on this deck by 10%. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. But even though this is a Tuvok episode and most of the humor is there, I'm sorry, but as usual, my favorite character on the show, the doctor, <laughs> gets the funniest lines. His bit is like, it would be inappropriate to discuss the patient's condition. <laughs> yeah. The patient. yeah, yeah. He's giving the uh, gel pack the exam. Yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, what's silly is that, like, he's a, he's a hologram, right? He's a, he's a computer program who's aware that he's a computer program and he's making jokes and obviously aware that he's making jokes, yeah. you know, he's yeah, got yeah. humor licked, right? <laughs> yeah. Better than a lot of the humans. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And they threw Cass a little bit, a little bone in here. She figured out that it was a virus before the doctor did. Oh, a virus in the bacteria. That's depressing. <laughs> You've got, You've got a bacterial infection that's got an infection. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my sinus condition right now. I guess so. Um, I think Brian and I wrote down, get the cheese to sick bay line. We well, because it's one of those things like, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that nobody said that in the history of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure. But, you know, I mean, you know, we could be forgetting something. <laughs> Could it be a, like a metaphor for the get the cheat the cheat the cheese episode and get the cheese? Is it, you know. Yeah, the, the cheese is in the corridor at the end of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I you know I I think I yeah I, I'm sure I'm with you guys as far as not the greatest episode. It's a solid episode, you know, average but solid. It has its moments for sure, but it has its moments, and I I I enjoy this episode. I like this episode. I think it's solid. I think it's entirely solid and and satisfying and and good and. And some of that is that I like Tuvok and I like seeing them do these sorts of things. Uh, but I think it's just, a, it's a solid idea for an episode. It's got a good A and a good B story. And the B story 
is is unique. Uh, it's cool this concept of this you know little thing taking down the huge starship and and the B story kind of connects enough to the A. Yeah, is it, you know one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this is this is a very prototypical like '90s Star Trek episode, mm-hmm. and when I was watching Discovery and having a hard time with some of it, I, I was I was asking myself why you know like I like any any problem I had with it needed to be entirely because of issues with that individual episode, and I didn't want it to ever be just me afraid of something new or something different or having a hard time with that. And to an extent, I started recognizing that some of that was true. And there was an episode of Discovery, a single episode in the season that was a little bit more like a normal Star Trek episode. If you've seen the show, I'm sure you know which episode I'm talking about, but there was one, a single episode. Um, And when I saw that episode and I realized this is a little bit more like what I wanted and what it was really getting at was something like, this, you know, something like learning curve. And then I tried to be, you know, more open. And, and I, I, like I said, I didn't, didn't want to think negatively of discovery because it wasn't giving me exactly what I wanted. That's not fair, of course. And, but I bring this up mostly to say that this is the kind of episode that I was thinking about. And as this like prototypical uh, next gen DS9 Voyager era, mm-hmm. Star Trek episode. It gives me a level of comfort and and I enjoy it in, in, in a way. What's this episode about? Um, the themes in the episode are like, you know, coming together as a crew, learning, you know, they're obviously, they, you know, you have these people who are on the crew who aren't Starfleet officers and it's bringing them into the, into the fold and making them feel like they're a part of the team and the crew. So um, there's... Yeah, I mean, just kind of like a lot of working together is kind of the themes that I got for it. And I couldn't really find if there's like one specific thing that it's about. It just kind of has like these themes that go through it of teamwork and being a family and bringing together differences to be a better crew. For me, probably the most prevalent thing it's trying to be about is the whole, you know, thumbs up swell ending with the... uh, um, Comp- compromising, you know, and, and adapting, um, you know, so it's some, you know, it, it's, you know, Starfleet, it kind of a, you know, you give orders, take orders, this kind of thing. We see that going on. We don't see a whole lot of people oftentimes that are crew members that totally aren't fitting the mold of that. But in this case, you know, Tuvok had to adapt his approach and I'm not, you know, they probably could have done that better that delivered that message, you know, but, uh, sometimes you got to meet, meet people halfway and, uh, realize everybody needs a different technique when you're teaching people or trying to connect with people. So I did my favorite episode, my favorite, my favorite scene in the episode is that, that Tuvok. Yeah. Neelix scene. Yeah. Uh, when Tuvok's like, oh, you're saying that these cadets can't know Mr. Tuvok. I'm saying that you are incapable of, of, that you are inflexible and you should learn to bend a little, mm-hmm. you know, um, I like that because it's, it puts an interesting little button on the scene and comes at it from a different angle, but it, but it is kind of the whole episode, like you guys were just saying. And I thought Ethan Phillips did that really well because he, he kind of, he kind of, uh, you know, straddled that line between his delivery of that final statement being, 
like, I don't know, ingratiating or putting him down in a way, but also bringing it home sternly enough or something, you know, just kind of just right where it felt like he's making a point and he's confident about what he's saying, but he's also not talking down to him nor trying to tiptoe around it. Yeah, I love, I've said this many times already and we're only in the first season, but I love those two together. Yeah. Tuvok and Neelix. I do. From the first time we saw them together. (laughs) The yin and yang. (laughs) Let's do six degrees for learning curve. Steve has two. Adam has zero. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Thomas Decker played Henry Burleigh, one of Janeway's hollow novel children, in which Trek film did he play Thomas Picard, presumably one of Jean-Luc's children? Uh, Generations. Yes, sir. Uh, Adam, you have no chance to win today. No. <laughs> uh, Lindsay Hahn plays Beatrice Burleigh, Janeway's other hollow novel ward. In Voyager's third season in the episode Real Life, she plays Belle, name her father. No clue. Steve? Mm, I'm trying to remember which one this is. The episode, again, was called Real Life, gentlemen. The, the doctor? Yes, sir. It was the doctor. It's the episode where uh, the doctor has his little holographic family. She's the mm-hmm. doctor. Yeah. All right. Quick recap for season one. Well, we started off pretty darn strong. I, I've said, you know, I think Caretaker is one of the best um, series two-part openers of, of any Star Trek. Uh, it had a little... I don't think there were really any just terrible episodes or anything, but there were there were a, a few episodes where, you know, it's obviously finding its footing. There's a lot of that in this in this season. Yeah, I think overall, I hate to say it, but it, it feels like they had a really, really amazing setup. Maybe the best setup of any Star Trek show as far as the characters and the, and the, the plot and kind of a real direction to it. And this, this strife between the McKee and the Starfleet people. And then I, I, I didn't really feel overall like we really did a great job of, of taking advantage of a lot of this. The episodes in this season that I thought were really stellar, like uh, Phage, which I don't know, that's probably my favorite episode from the first season. Or even Jatrell, like we were just talking, that I think is pretty darn good. Um, faces, you know, I don't know how much these necessarily felt unique for Voyager. I don't know what how, what what do you guys think here? Just the the promise of the show, the way it started off, and then what we kind of got by the end of season one here. Well, I mean, yeah, I kind of agree. It's a it's a it's a great pilot episode, and it kind of sets it up. Um, still not my favorite pilot. Um, Diaz. Um, Deep Space Nine is my favorite pilot, but um, for different reasons. Um, I think what I mentioned earlier is like um, the first season of Voyager. It's it's not bad, but it's not good. It's average. I mean, you know, we can talk. I mean, there's been other series that have had really lackluster first seasons. Um, Next Gen's first season wasn't great. Had a lot. It was just kind of more up and down. Like say the first season at Next Gen, you know, it was more up and down. I'll give Voyager credit. It was just it was more level. There wasn't like a lot of there wasn't really any great episodes, but there weren't any really like, oh my God, I never want to watch this episode again episode. So it was kind of just down the line. There are no move along homes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's an average season. Um, they're like I said, it's 
nothing blew me away, but nothing was like, um, what are they doing here? Yeah, I, I think I would agree with what you guys have said. It's it started off really strong, and it and it wasn't like it, it was. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't bad, you know, the first especially for a first season of a series, but also keeping in mind that it's not really like a first season because, you know, it's we're 8 years deep into this, you know, you know, string of uh, straight Star Trek, so you know, maybe there could have been a little more, you know, a little, but I, but I will give them credit. We talked about this early on in the, in the show, not only did it start strong, but you know, felt like you, you really were getting these characters pretty early on. I felt like, you know, compared to some other Trek series, you know, and, um, there, there were, there was some good stuff, um, but there, you know, not a whole lot of it, but there also wasn't any, a lot of bad stuff either. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I agree with what you guys said. Yeah, I think Heroes and Demons might be the weakest episode of the season for me. Yeah, I, if I had to pick one, I'd say that too. But like, uh, Phage, my favorite. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe Caretaker actually, if we if we if we be really objective. But for regular episodes, you got Phage. I really, really liked Eye of the Needle. Faces Jatrell. You know, there's enough. There's enough good stuff in there. Yeah. And like I said, I think more than anything, this season just reminded me of with such good setup, it might take them a little while to take advantage of it. It might take them longer than maybe it should have, um, but they're going to take good advantage of it. And we were just talking about, I remember how much I loved that episode of Real Life. That's in the third season. So, I mean, imagine the doctor in this in this season and where uh, he gets to the point where he's making jokes and learning curve. <laughs> Uh, now imagine just two seasons later, he's going to have that incredible episode with the holographic family. So there's some great setup work here. Maybe they didn't quite take advantage of it as they're getting the feel for it, but I think this is a pretty solid first season. I really do. And I am looking forward to season two. Uh, I've mentioned how much I love projections just off the top of my head. So anything else you guys want to add about season one? No, I think we're good. No, I don't think so. All right. Well, folks, uh, I want to thank you for, I know I'm still not 100%. My voice is a little funny. And then Steve sounds even funnier than usual. <laughs> so thank you for bearing with us. Uh, let's see. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Uh, Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Thank you very much for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. They found a pasta.